You are tuning into Pro Bono Perspectives, live from Brooklyn, where the city never sleeps and purpose is more than just a buzzword. Pro Bono Perspectives brings together leaders that have traveled across sectors, industries, and experiences on their path to creating change for the communities in which they live and work. And I'm your host, Danielle Holly, CEO of Common Impact, a national nonprofit that designs skills-based volunteer programs that amplify the impact of social change organizations by harnessing the talents and the skills of private sector employees. I am lucky enough to cross paths with these leaders every day through my work with Common Impact and can't wait to bring you behind the scenes to share their stories. When the pandemic hit in 2020, one of the first questions that came to my mind, and I know many others doing work at the intersection of business and social purpose, was, is corporate social responsibility going to make it through this? We were in the golden age of CSR, where moving past the legal and compliance and marketing motivations that drove those early CSR programs decades ago and towards a true integration of societal good into the business and the bottom line. And one of the most prominent, one of the most talked about indicators of this has been BlackRock CEO Larry Fink focusing his annual letter to investors on the importance of companies and investments having societal return. But this golden age came to us during one of the longest stretches of economic prosperity, where there weren't significant trade-offs between a single and a double and a triple bottom line. So as global uncertainty took hold in 2020, those of us that work in the social impact space, like so many of our listeners, were worried that it wouldn't last. And looking back over the past year, I've been so heartened to see companies double down on their commitments to loosen their grant restrictions, to think differently about capacity building, and think we still have a hard road ahead of us. Today, I am joined by one of our sector's biggest thinkers and influencers on the topic of for-purpose business, the delightful Judy Samuelson, Vice President of the Aspen Institute and Executive Director of the Aspen Business Plus Society Program. Judy also has recently authored a new book about corporate purpose and trust and culture called The Six New Rules of Business, Creating Real Value in a Changing World. Today, Judy and I discuss her incredible cross-sector career, what she thinks will pivot the private sector towards true sustainable purpose and change. And as we kick off and celebrate National Volunteer Month here at Common Impact, why employees are a central force for good. Judy, welcome to Pro Bono Perspective. So great to have you today. Thanks for having me. So I would love to start with your current role at the Aspen Institute. Tell us about that and how you got there. You've had such a a cross-sector career. A lot of the folks that listen to this podcast are cross-sector chameleons, professionals, and you really embody that. You had Uh, work in banking and government in the California State Legislature and nonprofits. Tell us about your career path and what brought you to where you are today. I started out in California and went to 
UCLA and that landed me in an internship after after UCLA in Sacramento. So that's that was the that was that period. And then um, you know, political environment changed. Uh, the old Tax Reform Act Proposition 13 hit, which changed the conversation in Sacramento. And I started thinking I needed to understand more about bonds and finance if I was going to stick around and understand how to finance government. And it it put me on a totally different path. It was almost like I was seeking to understand how things really work and chose a business degree rather than what many people would have gone into policy work at that point. And I, it took me east and landed me in banking where I thought to understand more about the private sector and its role in things that we're still talking about today, you know, where jobs come from and how wealth is created. It was a remarkably, um, you know, you talked about cross-sector. Boy, to go from working in the state legislature in California to being a garment center lender in the middle of New York City was was quite a jump for me. And, you know, it's just wise eyes wise, wide open. You know, if you jump sectors and you're able to see things from a different point of view, and it's part of that rich experience that um, I think is important for people that, are trying to make change in the world. Ultimately, I went kind of back closer to home, not not literally back to California, but uh, to the Ford Foundation where I uh, began to run their, what was then called their PRI program, what we would today call uh, social impact or impact investing. So investing in big intermediaries and, and uh, driving partnerships between banks and community organizations through, you know, financial leverage. And, um, you know, it, that it was there that the the seeds of um, what I've come to write about um, really took root, which is to try to understand why, what's the role, like, how do we, if we're in the nonprofit sector, how do we really leverage the remarkable capacity and um, reach and distribution systems and talent and problem-solving skills of the private sector. You know, that's, that is a, it's a large part of who we are in the United States is our, our belief in private initiative and private, private uh, wealth generation. And um, it's a complicated topic, but it's one that's given me a lot to think about for a lot of years um, at the Ford Foundation and then on to the Aspen Institute where I created the program that I still lead now the business and society program. Well, and I think that is so, of course, central to common impacts work and thinking about the skills and the talents that are so well resourced in the private sector and redirecting, or redirecting is probably the wrong word, but expanding the way that we think about how those skills can be used. And I started my career in uh, financial services. And because I was in my early twenties and had a lot of disposable time that I really would love to have again. <laughs> Don't think I'll ever see that again. That'd be uh, nice, right? Uh, right. Uh, it was doing a lot of volunteer work for nonprofits. And it was just this daily experience of understanding that there are the resources that we need to solve the challenges that we have. And a huge part of that is skills. We're just not necessarily thinking about that expansively or directing them in the right way. And I know one of the core philosophies and beliefs that you have and that you've written about and you really live in your work is that this push against 
the now antiquated concept, I would say, that businesses exist solely to maximize shareholder value and instead believe that they have a responsibility to all stakeholders, customers, employees, local communities, every dimension that they touch. And they touch so many dimensions being, as you say, core to our society and how we operate our economy. So tell us more about that belief and how that was formed for you and how that takes life in your work. You know, I think in my core, I think um, I'm naturally drawn to trying to find the leverage point for more systemic change. I'm not sure why that's how I think and act, but I'm clearly drawn in that direction. And that you can't work in business um, or alongside business or work with business in your sites for very long without thinking about what what's really the intention here. Like, what what's the business trying to accomplish? You know, we grant businesses a license to operate, you know, at the level of states principally. And, um, you know, different states have different laws about all of that. Uh, The one that's most dominant in the United States is, of course, you know, Delaware law, which is kind of the same as corporate law. And uh, we started back uh, years ago opening up the question about purpose because it was so relevant to the work we were doing at the time around curbing short-termism in business and capital markets. And it opened up for us questions about what what are you really setting out to do? What is your purpose? And therefore, what do you need to measure and over what time frame? And that was central to the questions around moving from short-term thinking to long-term value creation. And so, it's, it's a multi-layered question, but it's really essential to the work of driving change in business because you simply have to start with the mindset of the CEO and the enterprise. Like, what is it, what is it value? What does it really care about? And then work from there. Because if you're, if you're working at odds with what the business is set up to do and what, it, what its intentions are aligned with, um, if you're not aligned with the intention, um, you know, you're not going to get very far. And so, you know, if you really think about what that comes down to, it's got there's different pieces of it. But I would say um, it's really the center of systemic change. And purpose is a choice of the executive. It's not embedded in law. People talk a lot about, you know, well, they assume that the law requires you to put shareholders in front of everybody else. It's not really true, um, you know. Corporations, boards have a lot of um, ability to define what success looks like. And it's not like they can throw investors under the bus, but um, they loom way too large in our consciousness. Um, We could talk more about that. But um, the other thing about purpose is that you can state your purpose, but purpose is revealed. You know, it's revealed by the actions you take, the decisions you make the the way that you you are so um, it's both kind of about setting intentions and trying to figure out how do we then align operations and the business model with those intentions but also what are we observing and is that consistent with the intentions or is it suggesting that something else is really at play here that may reveal what the real underlying purpose of the enterprise is I could talk about purpose all day. <laughs> I think it's a critically important question. Well, and part of what you said about 
ensuring that business practice aligns with the uh, almost business narrative around social good, right? That it, it can't just be a purpose washing, which I know has become a popular term. And one of the things that you've been really outspoken about is CEO pay and you know these billionaires. I'm, I'm thinking in particular of Jeff Bezos at Amazon because it's such a stark example, but I think it's much broader than that, right? Where you have billionaires that are making money off of uh, the American people and sometimes their employees and are giving back these large gifts, but it's in some ways just it's, it's a very small slice of their overall income and does not address systemic income inequality, right? And so I would love to hear your thoughts on CEO pay in general and then, um, you know, Relatedly, it, the role of companies and their CEOs in philanthropy, given that CEO pay, because it's all a um, intricately connected in my mind. So one of the very first insights from my colleagues and I that were started this corporate and what we call the corporate involvement initiative in, in my tenure at the Ford Foundation, um, we started doing some kind of research and investigation into how we might at the Ford Foundation, like what's, how do we work with the private sector and what would, what might that mean? And um, one of the, one of the very clear um, outcomes of that, that research and kind of mucking around in this domain and trying to get our bearings was that the amount of philanthropy out there, it's trivial compared to the, leverage that a business has, the impacts it has, the, the kind of the, uh, the, the consequences that flow from the business model itself. It's, you can't even talk about them in the same vein. It's not, um, it's not relevant. It's a, it's a small rounding error. It's can be useful. It doesn't mean that, you know, the recipients, I mean, I'm dependent on fundraising. It doesn't mean that I, don't value tremendously the support of corporations for our work when we earn it. Um, but it's just, it's just not where the action is, you know, where the action is, you know, like Indra Nui used to say it at uh, Pepsi, you know, it's about how you make your money, not, you know, what you do with the, with the money. And um, that's just abundantly clear. We could talk more about it, but that's, I think it's clear to probably most people on the phone. Um, the question of pay then is a design question. So if we're really, if the instrument that we're talking about is the business and the decision rules and protocols and ways in which it operates and the, the business model itself, what it's designed to do is what becomes uh, you know, critical to really opening up ways in which business is influential in things that that are important to wider society. And, um, you know, we have to look at what the CEO's pay then is designed to do. And so we're, we're, we've been working on the question of CEO pay and sometimes what we call fixing CEO pay. Um, but we've released a set of principles called the modern principles for sensible and effective pay, which gets at the notion that, first of all, pay's been stuck for a long time. We've been paying people the way we pay them now pretty much since Milton Friedman came out with, you know, 
you know, the purpose of the business is business, 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 and um, or profits, 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 or shareholder value maximization or whatever. It goes by multiple names, but basically, you know, a single objective function. Let's focus on something very straightforward, measurable, you know, how much money are we making or how much value are we creating for shareholders? And and then CEO pay evolved fairly quickly within a decade or so to be designed to support that notion. And that was done to make sure, you know, there were like theoretical reasons why. And even though, as you say, the idea that, you know, the purpose of the corporation is to maximize shareholder value, you call it, I think, like an antique idea today, but the, the way we pay executives hasn't changed. This, you know, share price is allowed a signal in the pay package and it gets structured different ways. But, you know, the result is that 90 percent plus of profits of companies are distributed to shareholders through dividends and 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 share buybacks that bind often to bolster the share price. And we're bolstering the share price. Why? Why do we actually care? You know, you got your IPO, as Marjorie Kelly, the wonderful author of The D Divine Right of Capital, wrote uh, years ago. Um, so, you know, we could talk more about that. But, you know, capital is not the scarce resource today. Scarce resources, talent, and problem-solving skills, and, and uh, you know, intangible things, um, you know, the, how strong your culture is, what is it supporting, um, you know, loyalty, trust, 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 can I say it enough, trust, uh, those are the things that are important in building a resilient culture that is where people are kind of swimming in the same direction, um, want to be at work, um, are giving everything they can to uh, you know build strong products and customers and and uh, and doing it right and so um, you know pay is reductive it's uh, and it's about the CEO not in relationship to the corporation and the enterprise that he or she leads but the CEO in relation to other CEOs in other enterprises have nothing to do with with what matters. And so uh, there's a lot to do there. We're, we've unwrapped a lot, um, but I think you you know purpose and pay are are connected questions. So what do you think moves us forward on this? Because you're you're right. I mean, we particularly in the nonprofit social impact for purpose community feel like this is an antiquated idea but the mm -hmm. reality is is that it's still very much what's driving our economy and what what changes that ceo pay package and i wonder what's your perspective on things like what larry fink has done for the past couple of years the ceo of blackrock who says we are going to consider societal benefit as part of how we make our investments in different companies do you think that is the sort of thing that moves us forward? Do you think that is just more rhetoric? What What do you think is meaningful here? I think it's rhetoric that matters a lot. Um, yeah. You know, when you, when you have the, you know, the megaphone that he does, um, you know, is viewed as the largest investor in the world. Um, 
it's important and public companies listen. They can express frustration and say, you know, your asset managers aren't reading the same letter that you're sending to me or that, that you know, practices of, of uh, BlackRock still have a way to go. But he's said a, he said an, he's raised important questions and he's definitely helped elevate these questions about why corporations exist, why do we offer the license to operate, what is necessary to earn and sustain trust, and um, and has unleashed a lot of uh, creative thinking inside BlackRock among you know colleagues that we work with closely there who are who are trying to figure this stuff out. None of it's none of it's easy. None of it's uh, simple. If it was simple, we'd be done by now, right? If we all wanted the same things, but um, we don't all want the same things. And people measure success success in different ways, or you know, there's winners and losers. And so, I think if you come back to pay, it's a particularly sticky problem. Everybody agrees it's out of whack. I don't mean that every individual who's benefited from the design of the system wants to, you know, change it. But if you talk to people, you know, directors on boards and certainly critics and, um, you know, people from different parts of the corporate governance system. And even those, you know, like our partners, wonderful partners at Corn Ferry who helped, uh, who, who we really partner closely with on the design of these principles. Um, you know, they, they see that the system has to move. You know, the, the CEO has a different job today. And we need to pay that CEO appropriately. They're leading communities of interest. They're leading a community that is made up of um, many different voices, including, of course, the important one, employees. And, um, you know, pay has to be designed to support that important job that the CEO is doing today in a complex world where expectations of business um, morph and change and grow. Well, and this is exactly what your new book is talking about. You've just released the six new rules of business, creating real value in a changing world. And in it, you talk a lot about that stakeholder group that you just mentioned, employees, and how they are placing more pressure on, but also can be the strongest allies and advocates for companies and their culture. Tell us about what are the six new rules of business? What is, what is this book about? Well, the book is about how change will take place in the business sector. I think in some ways it's there are two audiences um, that are important here. One is is clearly business people, executives and, and uh, business leaders and, and those who work in the professional services, who, who uh, support business strategy and, and business uh, decision making. Um, you know, I think it, it is it opens up some important ways in which the world has already changed and business needs to kind of wake up to those changes. And the six rules are a conceit to kind of get through six ways in which the, um, the kind of context and expectations of business have changed dramatically. Um, you know, like the question of intangibles, you know, that value, business value, the value of corporations is not bricks and mortar. It's, all of these things that are hard to measure. And so that requires a different kind of management, a different kind of teaching about finance and a different kind of different kinds of systems of measure it and different ways of knowing when we're on track or off track and diagnosing what's going on and how to improve. So all of those things um, 
that's one example of something that's changed dramatically. We talked about purpose. Um, we could talk about employees, I hope. Um, but poor employees as a as a a remarkably you know remarkable accountability mechanism. I don't I don't know what else to call it. I call it accountability from the cafeteria. Um, you know the role of capital has changed. You know it really is not as I mentioned. It's not the scarce resource and kind of what companies are called to do and the nature of how competition in some respects has morphed into kind of co-creation in order to solve complex problems that are too big for one, one company to solve alone. Um, so all of these things are kind of major trends and I, I get into it in the book. I get into these trends and tell the stories of, of change. And, you know, the other, the other audience I think for the book is really um, people who care deeply about enlisting the business sector in the work of change and the work of whether it's climate or addressing inequality or, you know, labor conditions or human rights or all of those things that, you know, I've worked for years with colleagues at the Aspen Institute who are deep in these questions. Um, and at the Ford Foundation, of course, before that, you know, economic development, economic, you know, racial equality, uh, you know, the conversation of, of our day. Um, business is at the center of all of these questions. We, we can't, if we don't have business at the table, we're missing perhaps the most capacious and influential institution. And, um, but it's, it's back to how business thinks and how it acts and what it's designed to do. And so, you know, that's what the book is about. It also, I get into things that are holding us back. Um, but it's a good, it's, uh, I think it's a good read for people who are trying to figure out where, like, where has a puck gone again? Because I think it does lay out some some important domains that are important both to change agents, to understand how do they work with the system, and to business executives to, to get a little more insight into um, why things are so complex now. Well, that's definitely the audience that's listening today, right? Either folks that are in the private sector who are working to make fundamental changes or folks that are working with them from the outside. And one of the really active conversations that I've been having with folks, and I think is just a really widespread moment we're having is we're in following 2020 and all of the change and transformation it brought us. We're in a moment, I think, where where people and institutions are much more open to change and innovation than they were before. And you mentioned, you know, the value of a company is a nod in its brick and mortar. And I think that has never been more clear than right now. Right. Uh, and so what's your take on whether we have an opportunity, a different or changed opportunity right now to pivot before we go quote unquote back to normal or back to whatever the new normal will be? Well, I think it does take us into, if there's anything we've learned in this period of time, um, it's, it's humanized corporations in some ways. You know, it's brought the stories of employees up, you know, front and center and, um, and the plight of, of those on whom we depend for critical services and goods. Um, so it's opened up that question and, um, that, that's certainly, you know, 
climate, climate, climate. Let's not forget climate. That is, that's one that keeps me awake at night. Um, but I think in terms of the, the kind of COVID context, it takes me into this question of inequality of, um, you know, who, who's benefiting and, and is there a, is there a deep connection between wealth creation and the wealth creators? And, um, and that's missing or it's off or we've, it's, uh, you know, we're living in this kind of fantasy world that somehow the narrative of, you know, a rising tide and, and, um, you know, if we, you know, the stock market will ultimately help everybody and, and these various other myths, um, it's, it's a time of reckoning, I think, about this. And so um, I think we're going to see a tremendous amount of change coming out of this moment, not just the kinds of changes where we get to maybe go to the movies again, um, but I mean in boardrooms and in executives, I think we're going to see a lot of turnover in boards. I think there's a lot of people who are kind of, all right, I'll see you through this, but you know, then it'll be time to step down. We've got of course, huge call to action on on greater diversity, and that will drive change in boards and executives. Um, so we're going to have new voices coming to the table who have new ideas, who are at a different point in their own um, career, and um, who are seeing things differently. And so I think it's going to. I think it is a propitious moment. When you think about your current role would love to hear a little bit more about the work you do every day because you so embody this work right in your uh life's work and in the the work that you publish tell us a little bit more about the uh, business and society institute that you run at aspen the business the business and society program is part of the aspen institute which uh is the home of dozens of wonderful programs that you know, all use pretty much stay in the lanes of of uh, leadership development and and dialogue in pursuit of solving problems. So the, the Aspen Institute is a major convener of conversation and dialogue, um, you know, bringing people together who are all kind of leaning into the same problem, but bring different um, attitudes and skills and ways of thinking to bear. And so it's about you know, finding common ground and and uh, where's the solution space and 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 building the courage and conviction of change agents and and those who can who have influence and the ability to um, reset our course. And so that's what the Aspen Institute does. The Business and Society Program is is um, is about aligning business decision making with the long term health of the commons. So our focus is very much on. Business mostly, mostly talking about large corporations um, that we engage in, and we we both have programs that are designed to help um, people working in business to support change agents and and create opportunities for them to connect and build uh, both skills and networks to um, sustain the kind of work that they are trying to do. We we work through. Um, kind of opening up fresh space and new and examining these kind of unexamined assumptions like the purpose of the corporation, like how we pay executives, um, you know, like the um, kind of presumptions about capital markets. Um, so that's, that's work that I personally have most been, been most engaged in with, uh, with colleagues. 
And, and then finally, we work around kind of the next generation, like what's being taught in business schools and how do we influence the mindset of those who will lead in the future. So before we hit record, you were telling me about your day-to-day, week-to-week right now, which is probably a little unusual because you've just launched this book and you're doing a virtual book tour uh, with within the context of COVID. Uh, one of the things that I ask every guest is, what is the best part of your day? Oh, that's easy. Early morning. If there's anything that, a habit that has changed for me, it wasn't like I was ever a late riser. I always used to get up early to uh, run in the morning. But I now, um, my favorite part of the day is between 5.30 and you know 8. And um, to be able to be sitting at my kitchen counter alone uh, with the lights dim and just me and my computer doing, you know, first it was writing the book, but now just kind of trying to process, process what's going on and stay up with my my day job at the same time as I'm, as I'm uh, get great opportunities like the one I'm having right now to talk about this work and try to spread these ideas and engage with those who are, who are trying to figure out some of the same questions. Uh, I love it. I'm also I'm an early bird and there's nothing like that, like particularly this time of year when it's pre-dawn and you've yes. got a cup of coffee and it's quiet and yes, rolling yes. time. Coffee is an important piece of <laughs> <laughs> Hard to do 5.30 a.m. without coffee, no matter how much of an early bird you are, right? Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, well, thank you so much, Judy, for joining us today and for sharing. I think a lot of the concepts that you went through are things that are really top of mind for our listeners. And you brought us to a level of specificity that I think is really helpful and practical. If folks want to grab your book, read your book, where should they go? My website is judysamuelson.com. And uh, it's easy there to find all the ways you can buy the book. There's also, you know, articles and media about the book. And that's, that's one place to turn. Wonderful. And it's called Six New Rules of Business, Creating Real Value and Changing World. Judy, thank you again for joining us today. Thank you so much, Danielle. I really enjoyed it a lot. Thanks so much for listening to Pro Bono Perspectives today. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out our website at commonimpact.org. Leave us a review and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Tune in to our upcoming episodes to hear from everyday leaders using their skills to help their communities.